It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Race, racial injustice, we hear so much about this of late for many very important and compelling reasons. Certainly it's something that is talked a lot about uh, in this run-up to the presidential election in November. But uh, uh, unfortunately for Hillary Clinton, perhaps, her reference to deplorables, about half of Donald Trump's supporters uh, in, in the current situation, has, I think, put a spotlight again on the question of class, which Nancy Eisenberg does in her latest book, which is called White Trash, the 400-Year Untold History of Class in America. Nancy is a professor of American history at Louisiana State University, and she joins us now. Nancy, one of the things that uh, many people point out, if you look at the, the a lot of uh, Donald Trump supporters, whether they are deplorables or not, they tend to be a lot of them white men uh, who didn't go to college, and a lot of them didn't even finish high school. Um, are, do, they, do many of them fi- fall into this category of what we have traditionally called uh, white trash? Well, it's really complicated. I mean, for example, Nate Silver has found people voting for Trump come from a higher class bracket. Um, I think the media image has been generated by the images from the rallies. uh, And there was a really good New York Times editorial of someone who went to the rallies and talked about the, you know, the kind of hostility and anger that was being voiced, uh, you know, calling Hillary Clinton, the B word. Uh, So I think this is part of the problem that we have is when we try to figure out who are Trump's supporters. Um, I I think that we we want to say it's the white working class. But as I've written elsewhere, you know, the working class, in a sense, is not just white and male anymore. You know, 40 percent of people in unions are women and a third are minorities. Uh, But I think it goes back to a much older narrative, a narrative that I also write about, which has to do with a long history of Southern politics of pitting poor whites against blacks. And this first came out with, you know, Donald Trump using very explicitly racist language in the way he talked about immigrants and sort of describing them as criminals and rapists. Uh, And the fact that, you know, he was encouraging violence against a black protester at one of his rallies. Uh, so this also, I think, contributed to the image of assuming that, you know, Trump's following uh, fall into this category and that Trump, in a certain way, has borrowed from the rhetoric of Nixon and the idea of the silent majority, which was an appeal to poor lower class whites and also fed this racial battleground by claiming that blacks were on welfare and whites were being, you know, weren't being given the same kind of support. Um, and this is, unfortunately, I think, a long, a long part of our history. I mean, I talk about James Vardaman back in the early 20th century. Uh, we could talk about 
Little Rock, Arkansas, which I also write about. Uh, but I think we, we do have to be careful, and in Clinton's case, using deplorables was the wrong word. You know, it sounds closer to degenerates. But the, 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 what she was really getting at, as we know, was their, their kind of hostile, anti-gay, anti-Muslim, uh, anti uh, you know, black rhetoric that unfortunately has been the mainstay of a, of a lot of Trump's rallies and, and the issues that he talks about. P- Professor Eisen, uh, Eisenberg, I, I just wanted to maybe see if we can kind of connect it here to uh, talking a little bit about the economy and income, because, mm-hmm. of course, the report uh, for uh, real median household income in the United States rose 5.2 percent uh, in 2015 from the previous year. And that's the largest in percentage terms that's been recorded by the Bureau since it began tracking these statistics back in the 1960s. Also, the poverty rate fell by a little bit more than than 1%, the biggest decline since 1968. Can you uh, talk a little bit about uh, those kinds of economics in the context of your work? Yeah, I think one of the things we have to realize is that even though you statistically you can see an increase, um, one of the things I like people to think about is that if you were to look at the map of the United States, I talk about the importance of class zoning. People live in class zone neighborhoods. We know there are certain regions of the country that have done much better. <clears throat> I talked to a Washington Post journalist who was out in rural Colorado and found out that women make 50%, 50 cents on the dollar to men uh, in this rural area. So the problem of measuring gains is that it's really erratic across the country. So you can't generalize. I, I don't even need to mention Appalachia. I mean, that's been a long, has a very long history, uh, you know, of suffering from poverty. I mean, at the time that the Great Society was in- introduced by LBJ, the Appalachian region was suffering from four to six times the level of unemployment you know, in any place in the country. Well, to underscore what you're describing, median, as part of the report, median incomes did not budge significantly in rural areas, while right. in cities they grew right. more than 7%, and the South saw significantly weaker income growth yeah. than the yeah. West. Yeah, and that's really important. I mean, one the focus of my book is the problem of the rural economy. What we tend to forget is that rural economies experience less social mobility. Um, this is true even at the time of the American Revolution. In fact, Great Britain had more social mobility because it was a more commercial society than the colonies. And this is true historically. So this is why we can't generalize from urban to rural. Those are like vast differences economically. We- and... I think, you know, you know, the other thing that we have to keep focusing on. We got to run. We got to run. Nancy Eisenberg, professor of American history, author of the new book, White Trash, the 400 year old untold story of class in America. This is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.